Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Seeking What They Sought. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Leiter, back once again. We're so glad to be back with you. It's been a little while, as you know, and it feels really good to be back. We wanted to just say we're excited because we, we as you know, we've been cooking up a, a, a bunch of, uh, of, of things in the off-season. If you listen to our off-season episode, uh, there have been things in the works. And one of those things has uh, been a new series that we're excited to dive into. Before that, just want to say we're so grateful for those of you who've supported the podcast this far, uh, who have listened, who have who downloaded, if you've bought merch or sent us a message, we're really, really grateful. So much thanks to you. Um, if you've noticed, maybe you have noticed uh, during the off season, we've been a little more active than usual. And if you did listen to that episode, you, you'll know that we're, we're trying to be a lot more intentional uh, this time around. Part of that is uh, you can see us in video format uh, here, crystal clear. Um, but we also make memes now, so uh, you can you can tune in to our Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok uh, to to uh, to grab a look at at those. We have a good time, so look out SCA memes. Here we come. Uh, well, without further ado, we're jumping into a new series called "What Is an Adventist," and the goal really is uh, for us to ask the question. What does it mean to be an Adventist? Who decides who's in and who's out? Is there room at the table of Adventism to disagree and still pursue the same essential beliefs and heart? So to that end, we're kicking off today's uh, interview with uh, a guest we've been excited about, Elder Ted Wilson, president of the General Conference. So we're really, really excited for you to hear it. Before we do, just briefly, uh, a couple points so you can hear our heart. Our heart and goal behind these episodes is once again to do intentional listening and to have honest conversations, which has always been the goal of our, our podcast. And so to that end, we have the first part of this episode is our conversation with Elder Wilson. We ask him some questions. He gets to respond. And as you're listening, you may think, oh man, they didn't get to hit this topic or that topic. We only had limited time. So what we actually have done is we have a reaction to the interview afterwards. And uh, if you stick around in the episode, you'll see that in the second half. So you can look forward to that. We're really excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Elder Wilson. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking What They Sought. We have a very special guest with us today. Uh, it's Elder Wilson. He's the president of the General Conference. Uh, you may or may not know of him, depending on how familiar you are with church structure. But uh, Elder Wilson, we're really glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we're really glad that you're be, you've been willing to be on the podcast with us. Well, it's a um, great privilege. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, uh, we just wanted to jump in and ask a couple of uh, questions on the front end. Uh, first of all, what we know that you had sort of a... Uh, uh, you, you had an introduction to the role that you're in already because your dad was the president. Is that correct? That's true. My dad served about 12 years as president of the General Conference. Mm -hmm. Was it something you ever saw yourself doing, ever? Well, let me just kind of answer that you, you, you do what God asks you to do wherever you go. And you leave kind of the future in his hands. Uh, obviously, I learned a lot from my dad, <clears throat> perspective of international aspects, uh, theology, uh, personal relationship with the Lord, how to deal with people, how to 
treat people with respect and care, mm. uh, how to be balanced in the way that you try to approach things. Of course, none of that's possible except that you lean on the Lord completely because he's the, the one who helps you. But, uh, you know, the Lord has led me in different ways. I've been a pastor. I've been department director. Uh, I've been a, worked in secretariat um, and worked as a, the head of an institution and uh, been the president of a division um, and, uh, you know, worked in the general conference and secretariat as well as uh, presidential as a vice president. So you look back and you see how the Lord led you step by step in different ways. But really, the only place you want to be is where the Lord wants you to be. And mm. uh, so we just lean on him every day. What else can you do? <laughs> yeah, very true. So, I was going to say, Jesse, as a, as a little follow-up, just a little bit more about you, uh, Pastor Wilson, is, is there something that maybe many people don't know about you, something like a unique hobby or something that you enjoy doing? Um, in the little downtime that you have? Uh, probably most people, except for my wife and a few close people, uh, would know that I love to cut wood and split wood. Oh, and wow. We, we love to have a, a real fire. Uh, mm. Now, I know in California, that's kind of, you know, not really <laughs> too possible. <laughs> but in many parts of the country, it's the way people even heat and all of that. Yeah. And we do need to be mindful of the environment. I, I can understand that. But uh, wood is a, is a very good, especially the right kinds of wood. Mm. Uh, those that can be a very good um, source of heat, but also just the ambiance. Both my wife and I just love mm. to sit in front of our fireplace and uh, enjoy a quiet time, whether we're working, etc. But I enjoy just as much um, cutting the wood and splitting the wood. Now, I I have split plenty of wood just with a, you know, a, a hand tool, um, a go devil or whatever you want to call it, but uh, a splitter. But I do. I did buy the other. Oh, maybe three years ago, I bought a nice, rather compact uh, splitter. And I just love to be out there and splitting that wood and stacking it up. And my wife gets a little frustrated because we're driving along in the car and, and I'll say, wow, I say, wow, look at all that wood over there. And oh, she starts <laughs> groaning. But anyway, that's, that's something that I really enjoy. And when you, uh, when you cut wood and split wood and then sit in the fire, you get warmed twice. So it's great. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> hey, wow. That's great. Lumberjack Ted Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> we learned something new today. Um, it's uh, we can imagine being a being a, a the president of the of the general conference of the uh, of the Adventist Church. I can imagine to be pretty challenging. Um, how do you deal with the the stress, you know, the 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 spiritual um, side of things too? Like just kind of behind the scenes, how do you deal with all of that? Well, first of all, Jesse. Um, you can't worry about, at least not worry much, about what other people say about what you're going to do or what you have done. You first of all need to be grounded in the Word, uh, the Holy Word of God. I mean, it's, it's what is our anchor. And maybe sometime during the podcast we can talk about that because there are a lot of uh, 
strange things happening today where people want to completely misinterpret the word mm-hmm. and make the word say something it isn't saying and say that the word is saying something that it actually hasn't really indicated in, in actual words. But we can talk about that more. But you got to be grounded in the word and in spirit of prophecy. I have great confidence in the Bible as our foundation and in the spirit of prophecy as a very uh, important part of God's last day movement, pointing us back to Christ and to the Bible. Uh, So the instruction in those two beautiful messages from God, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, because I believe Ellen White was inspired as the prophets were. We don't put the spirit of prophecy as part of the Bible. Uh, It's the lesser light leading to the greater light. But when you have that kind of foundation and you realize the big picture, and I think as an individual who is in leadership yourselves, uh, wherever you are, uh, you have an influence on people. But when you're in leadership, you can get uh, maligned or attacked and uh, denigrated. But if you're truly submitting to the Lord every day and asking him to guide you, then you really don't have to worry too much about the problems you face. And in the morning, I try not to let one day go by. I drop to my knees out of bed and I will pray for different things, of course, but three things I pray for, that the Holy Spirit will enter into my life and uh, be part of my life. Secondly, that the Holy Spirit will fall on the la- in the latter rain because we want the latter rain to come so the work will go like wildfire and we can go home. And thirdly, uh, basically it's a claim of James 1.5. I ask for wisdom every day. Mm-hmm. So when you do that, then you can entrust whatever happens into God's hands and you can feel assured that you have done what you could and you leave the results with the Lord. Um, There are a lot of things that we have faced, so many challenges, so many problems. And, you know, I can just go back and look at different things, uh, even very recently, and filling of positions, uh, the the tensions around some particular uh, subject, whatever it is. And I just have this impression from the Lord, excuse me, as we move through things that um, that the Lord tells me I will carry you through I will Mm -hmm. carry you through and so when I face really bizarre strange things or challenges that we face I have much less anxiety about it than perhaps in the past because I just have learned to lean on the Lord what else can you do? Wow. And uh, you still have concern and anxiety. And then you look back and say, why was I concerned? The Lord just carried us mm. through. So I wouldn't want to minimize in any way the traumatic, challenging difficulties we face. I mean, you can name it anything from some terrible accident that happened. Um, we, we just had recently 
some supporting ministry people in um, Philippines who have disappeared mm -hmm. and they haven't even yeah. found the helicopter. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. We prayed for them. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel uh, was the pilot and uh, Janelle was the flight nurse. Mm. And we don't know where they are. We don't know what's happened. Well, in those things, you know, you just have to keep trusting the Lord. Everything from that to administrative challenges we face and misunderstandings and try to, trying to iron out problems, trying to um, find solutions for things. But, you know, if you really entrust your life to the Lord, he will see you through and, and ultimately the truth will prevail. And that's gives me great comfort. Mm. Well, man, I mean, th I, I just want to say this and, and I mean this with, with all, all honesty and earnestness that, uh, you being in the, the position of, of president must be a, it's a, it's a great privilege, but with great privilege comes great weight, you know? And, and mm. so, um, we just we think of you as you lead and and uh, yeah, through through these seasons because it's I know it's a lot, um, but we wanted to ask you. We're in the middle of a, of a series called "What is it? What is an Adventist?" Actually, we're not in the middle of it. We're starting it uh, called "What is an Adventist," <laughs> and uh, we we uh, we're incredibly grateful for you uh, being on the podcast to kind of kick it off. Um, but uh, we are four young adults. Uh, well, I guess we're right at the tail end of being young adults. Almost I don't want to be that our prime. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be the. We're not in retirement I wanna, yet. I don't want to be the fifty-five-year-old showing up at the young adult tent at camp meeting. Um, but, uh, but um, uh, yeah, young at heart. We have grown up in the church. All of us, I think, have have been church have been in the church our entire lives, and uh, gone through the Adventist school system and and all of that. And so we've seen a decent picture of, of what Adventism is based on our experiences. Um, granted, all of us are from a specific place, which is sort of the Northwest of the United States. So that is a specific picture of Adventism. But we wanted to ask the question, um, just from a, you know, from your perspective, I know you've spent a lot of time, uh, not just here in the U.S., but overseas as well, and seeing a, a far wider uh, spectrum of what Adventism is than we have. Um, in your opinion, what does it mean to be an Adventist? Well, let me just share that uh, it is true. I have, I grew up in Egypt, in Cairo, mm. and uh, really that's my home. I didn't know anything basically until I was about eight years old, anything else but the Middle East. And wow. uh, love the Middle Eastern people, the culture, the food, uh, it's it's a wonderful place, regardless of what some people want to do and stereotyping everybody is you know a terrorist or something. It's absolutely not that at all. Mm. Um, so my perspective many times is from if you've heard the term a third culture kid. Mm -hmm. uh, third culture kids are people who uh, whose parents are one culture, they grow up in another culture and they actually form their own culture. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of a real mix. So my perspective on what the church is and on world perspective is perhaps different than, than a number of people. And I value that enormously. I wouldn't give it up for anything. Uh, my wife and I also spent about nine years in West Africa, in Abidjan, in Côte d'Ivoire, uh, Ivory Coast. And that has impacted us greatly. We consider that to be a a real part of our background. 
uh, we also spent uh, living uh, about three years. I was, was almost four years in connection with the Euro-Asia division, living in Moscow for about three years. And that one of the best experiences we ever had. I mean, it was tough, tough to mm. find food, tough to make a telephone call, tough to travel, tough to do anything. Uh, but if I could, wow. it, if I could just butt in, that was right after the Berlin Wall <clears throat> fell too, wasn't it? So this is, you were sort of first in, in, in that way, right? Yeah, it was not too long after that. We actually lived there. We went there first in 1992 and the Berlin Wall fell a little bit before that, but, mm -hmm. uh, it was the it was the fall of communism. So yeah. communism, mm -hmm. the remnants of it were still there. The system was very broken. Uh, there was a lot of good food out in the fields, but how to get it into the city, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a magnificent time. We saw God's power in amazing ways. <clears throat> so it was it was really a, a great experience. The hardest thing we've ever done, just about, but very rewarding. So, you know, the perspective that I bring uh, comes from a, a very different setting than perhaps some. Uh, if I can just pick up on what was it like for people in the Eurasia division, and, and it's a challenge for them today. Very, you know, our hearts are very heavy for what's happening in that region now. Our hearts mm -hmm. are broken. It's just, you know, our people are living under some very difficult times. But people there coming out of a communist system, the church meant everything. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lord meant everything. Mm. Uh, so many times people who grow up in settings where life is, quotes, relatively easy, they look at what it means to be an Adventist in a very different way than some other people do. I would say personally, uh, for me, a Seventh-day Adventist is one who loves Jesus supremely, uh, mm. lifts him up in all that they do, uh, recognizing that it is only by the grace and merits of Jesus Christ on the cross and his ministry for us in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest that we have eternal life. Uh, and yes, I do believe there's a real most holy place in heaven and that Christ is our high priest interceding for us. And um, that when he died, that curtain was rent from top to bottom, signifying that uh, the typology of Christ dying on the cross for our sins was met. And now a new phase had begun. And then in 1844, we believe that uh, the investigative judgment began, and I believe in that. I know there are Adventists who don't, but I believe completely in that. I believe what the books of Daniel and Revelation tell us about the end of time and the 24th chapter of Matthew, um, and what the Great Controversy says, the book, The Great Controversy. In fact, it's uh, the missionary book of the year for the entire world church this year, 2023 and 2024, both years, where we hope to distribute millions of copies of The Great Controversy, which that book has changed people's lives like no other book except the Bible. Uh, it, it, has, it has brought so many people into the truth because they see the full picture of God's leading down through the 
the centuries. And uh, Ellen White indicated that was the one book she wished circulated more than any other book that she had written. I mean, hmm. fantastic books that we have uh, in the spirit of prophecy, you know, Steps to Christ and uh, Desire of Ages, The Conflict of the Ages, The Testimonies, and, and many mm -hmm. others. Uh, but the great controversy is one she wished distributed more than any other. So a Seventh-day Adventist, for me, is someone who believes, just as our name says, they believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath because that is the memorial of creation. And uh, Seventh-day Adventists believe in a in a six-day recent creation by God. Uh, otherwise, what's the point of the Sabbath? There's no point to it, basically. Uh, and that we are Adventists. We look forward to the second Advent, uh, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And of course, in between, we have all these other wonderful doctrines, pillars of our faith, which God has told us we need to hold on to those wonderful pillars. Uh, and God will open the way to those who are unsure about some of those pillars and maybe mm. frustrated with certain things and don't understand the particular aspects of it. But that's why, you know, Bible study is so important. And Seventh-day Adventists have been known for decades as people of the book, yeah. uh, people who believe what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Now, right. unfortunately, uh, people today are believing less and less in the Bible and more and more in social media. So I hope people won't mm. just take from this podcast and say, oh, well, Wilson said this or, you know, Sean mm -hmm. and Eric and Anthony and Jesse said this. And well, I guess that's sure. the truth. No, they got to yeah. dig into the word. And right. we can talk about that in a few minutes about the word, because I just want to yeah. continue with who Seventh-day Adventists are. Seventh-day Adventists mm -hmm. have a passion for ministry. They have a passion like Christ did modeled after uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And Jesus was quoting from uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, doing that which was helping people, uh, being part of the solution. And as I tell world leaders when I talk with them, we visit uh, heads of state and government people and all that, get, get them acquainted with the Adventist uh, church and its activities, I tell them, we follow the example of Jesus helping people physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. And that's why mm -hmm. we have, you know, clinics and hospitals, why we have educational institutions, uh, why we, we have, uh, you know, schools that help to train people and, and why we're so interested in family uh, health and mental health and physical health and all of these things because it's the whole uh, that we're dealing with. So a Seventh-day Adventist would have a great understanding of the holistic, if I can put it that way, beginning with a W, um, aspect of what life is all about and service. It's not about self. It's not about us. It's about how we can serve others and point them ultimately to Jesus and to his soon second coming. So a Seventh-day Adventist would be driven by this passion to help people to share with them, and then to point them to Christ's soon coming. I read a fantastic quote in Welfare Ministry. It's a compilation of Ellen White's writings on page 250. And it was saying that Christ ever lived to relieve suffering and teach righteousness. 
And there you have it, joining the physical, mental, and spiritual connections and social all together, uh, relieving suffering, teaching righteousness. You can't just leave people, well, I helped you out now, and God bless you, and see you later. No, you got to point them to something that will give them everlasting blessing, and that is Christ. Um, Oh, I could talk more about what it means <laughs> sure. to be an Adventist, but we've only got sure. so much time. Well, no, it's no, pretty holistic. That's, no, that's good because obviously that's the main theme. That's that's the heart of our conversation here today. And so, you know, and and I think what's interesting as as I listened and I know the other guys as well listening is when we go through all those things again. It's it's interesting because I've heard those um, those truths shared before, and you'll get um, you'll get people on certain types of issues to to say amen and say yes we agree with that but then when it comes to the practical or the way that they express that faith um, they may differ they may disagree and it may be even sometimes appear as opposites in the way that they think this is how we should do uh, that gospel this is how we how we live out the great commission and, and go therefore to the world this is how we share the health message or this is what sabbath means and so it's interesting how there's still sometimes even within leadership, uh, disagreement on those types of things. And although the purpose isn't necessarily for us to get into all the weeds of those specific issues here, uh, I, I do want to kind of look at uh, with you, Pastor Wilson, the idea of the labels of liberal versus conservative, right? And for better or for worse, that's, that's obviously not a term unique to Adventism, but it's, of course, used within Adventism, whether it be Adventist media, publications, um, the churches or even sometimes uh, geographical regions uh, get labeled with those types of uh, with those types of labels. Do you find that those labels are helpful or do you th do you think those are more harmful to the the mission of understanding the people of our church? Well, I think uh, definitely anytime we label people, that's not necessarily a helpful thing. Yeah. Uh, rather than because I, I mean, we have to recognize there are people with certain views that uh, are appear to be very liberal. When you say liberal, you're then defining what you mean by liberal, that they don't necessarily agree with what you do, you feel, or right. they are, they are things that are uh, on a, on a level that is far from our more traditional understanding of scripture and, and all of that. I, I would much prefer to, to characterize a, a, a solid Seventh-day Adventist as one who is truly wanting to seek the Lord and then to allow the Lord to work in them to then fulfill what, uh, you know, Matthew 25 is, is telling us when the Lord comes. They're going to say, but wh when did we help you, Lord? Well, when you fed me, when you clothed mm -hmm. me, when you visited me in prison. Wow. I mean, these are the natural outworkings of a relationship with heaven. Yeah. And mm -hmm. when you are that kind of Seventh-day Adventist, that you are not only helping them in prison or without clothing, if they don't have, the, have clothing or food or whatever, but you're then, as I just quoted, you're pointing them to Christ's righteousness and to eternal life in the best way within the context. I mean, you can't just beat somebody over the head. And, you need to accept Jesus. You know, no, right, I mean, right. you got to do it in the right way and the Holy Spirit will lead you. Um, so 
you know, I would prefer that we all focus on trying to understand what it means to truly be a faithful uh, Seventh-day Adventist in every sense of the word, basing our understanding on the Bible and not on humanistic understanding. You see, mm-hmm. when we're talking about, let's t- say, for instance, the three angels' messages, which are Revelation 14, 6 to 12, and the fourth angel of Revelation 18, 1 to 4, really what it's doing is calling people out of confusion, out of Babylon, telling them this is the true worship of God, that first angel, the one who created, uh, God created the earth, etc. give homage and respect. The second angel, Babylon has fallen. There's all kinds of confusion. Let me tell you, there is so much confusion today. Even in the Adventist church, there's so much confusion. Now, if people took their eyes off of what somebody else said and put them back on the Bible and really dug into it, asking the Holy Spirit to lead them, I believe what was told in Scripture that the Holy Spirit will lead us to, into all truth. When you read the Spirit of Prophecy, it says that the Lord wants us to be perfectly united at the end of time. In other words, we'll be focused on this incredible mission goal of sharing the three angels' messages. Of course, the third angel is saying, stay away from uh, things that are going to uh, force you into doing or believing that which is not right. Be sealed by God, which we believe is is the keeping of the seventh-day Sabbath. Uh, that's his seal. That's his sign because it goes back to the very original part where Lucifer and the devil was trying to deceive people. And he's been trying to do it ever since. And if you really focus on God's truth, I think labels could somewhat disappear because people will be relishing what it means to be a believer in Jesus in the end of time being part of God's last day movement, and I believe that the church is God's remnant people. It's not meant to be exclusive. We're not some super special group that's just uh, uh, gonna be looking down our noses at other, other people. No, we're, we're, we've been given unbelievable truth that needs to be shared with others in the right context and then point them to, to what the Lord is gonna be doing coming very soon. And I'll tell you, as Nancy, my wife and I travel around the world, I mean, let me tell you, everything is disintegrating. Mm. Everything, all over the place. Political, economic situations, ecumenical situations, all kinds of things. Social settings are just disintegrating. And nobody has a handle on that. So the answer is to point people to, to truth. Pastor Wilson, then, you know what is truth? <laughs> that's right, what people can say. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good that, question. That I, Pastor Wilson, appreciate your your answers, and I, I think the the question that comes to mind as you as you speak, um, you've said, you know, if only we could go back to to the scriptures and just saturate ourselves in in the Bible, then we would have a, a unified understanding. And and correct me if I'm wrong, if if that's not where you're headed, but. Um, I think as we pastor, and all, all four of us are ministry people, we've done ministry for years and years, and um, that's really where our heart is, and that's the heart behind this podcast. You know, we created this podcast, Seeking What They Sought, because we wanted to seek after the scriptures, like those who uh, came in the beginning of our church. And Amen. Amen. Our, um, 
as we've done ministry, I think oftentimes we found as we've sought after the scriptures, not everyone agrees, right? We, we, as we seek that, truth, that is an understatement, <laughs> right? Like as we seek truth, sometimes we come to different perspectives or different, you know, the fruit of those things. Sean mentioned different things like Sabbath or, you know, things like that. How do we actually partake in these? And, um, you know, from traveling around the world, um, I haven't done as much traveling, uh, but different people express these truths in different ways. Is there a way, how do you envision that the church can, is there a path to have some sort of collective unity or cooperation when there seems to be so many different perspectives, especially in this time when it seems things are even becoming more polarized, right? Politically, religiously, people are more and more entrenched in their own positions, their camps, opinions. How do you envision there being cooperation, um, yeah, coordination as we seek to fulfill the gospel commission? Uh, and I think that's a great question. And I don't want to sound as though I'm just giving some pat answer that, you know, <clears throat> okay, what's the next question? And let's move <laughs> on. Um, the, the real crux of the matter is not necessarily reading the Bible, but how do you read the Bible? Uh, how do you allow the Bible to speak for itself? And there are two great um, <clears throat> approaches and methods. When I say great, they are big. Not, not one of them is totally wrong, in my opinion. The one that's wrong is called the historical critical method, where you become the driver. You say, I have all this knowledge, resources. I, I, I can even explain things better than the Apostle Paul, because I've got all these resources now. I have all this background. Uh, and the historical critical method or higher criticism has been around for, you know, quite a while. And really, it, <clears throat> it's very self-centered. And it puts you in the driver's seat saying, I'm almost more important than God is. The other method of interpretation, hermeneutical uh, approach, is the historical grammatical or historical biblical approach, it's called sometimes, where you allow the Bible to explain itself. Line upon line, precept upon precept, verse upon verse. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you understand. I mean, it's what faced the Seventh-day Adventist believers when they were very few at the beginning of the, uh, you know, the, the Seventh-day Adventist movement back in the, in the 19th century. And they were getting together for these Sabbath conferences. They were grappling with this stuff. They, they, a big key to this is prayer, a mm. humbling of your mm -hmm. heart. If you think you know everything, well, you know, then I guess we really need to, we really need to pray <laughs> because we need to humbly come before the Lord and ourselves and say, well, let's look at the text and let's pray about it and let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Now, admittedly, some people will say, well, I did all that and we still come out on the opposite ends. Right. And I would just say, well, you know, keep praying. Well, at the very end of time, <clears throat> excuse me, we're not going to have we're not going to have a Seventh-day Adventist church that is so polarized uh, they don't know what they believe. I will tell you that absolutely 100%. People will be so galvanized by 
this precious truth and sharing it with others that Christ is the center of everything. Christ, our righteousness, is justifying and sanctifying righteousness. And I believe in sanctification. I mean, you know, some people, oh, no, just say the name of Jesus and you'll be okay. There's nothing you can do about your salvation. There's nothing you can even be involved with about making any difference when Jesus will come. No, just, no, that's not what I read. That's not what I understand. Uh, We are saved completely by grace. Uh, There is absolutely nothing in ourselves that commends us to God except for our willingness to allow him to to work in us and, and our acceptance of him. But once you do that, then the Lord works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And he helps you to grow so you become more and more like Jesus. Is it you become perfect and, oh, I haven't sinned for the last, you know, X amount? No, no, that's not it at all. But every day you need the justifying and sanctifying power of the Lord. And I think when someone truly in a humble way comes to that realization and to that connection, that there is great room for reconciliation and for finding the true way. I mean, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 18 and 19, the Lord has given us the ministry of reconciliation because he reconciled us to God. So the, you know, and then you may say, oh, come on, Wilson, you're just kind of saying all those nice things and it sounds, sounds, you know, very plausible and nice, but, but what's the reality of it? Right. Well, let me read you one little quote that I carry around and I just love it. It's actually in um, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 667. And it's about the story about Abigail, who became David's wife. And uh, her husband, of course, was just ridiculous kind of person and (laughs) blew away. He would have killed David, but David, David was after then, after him to try and kill him. And Abigail interceded. Mm-hmm. And this, this uh, three sentences here is just incredible. Page 667 of Patriarchs and Prophets. A consecrated Christian life is ever shedding light and comfort and peace. It is characterized by purity, tact, simplicity, and usefulness. It is controlled by the that unselfish love that sanctifies the influence. And here's the last sentence. So I guess there are four sentences. It is full of Christ and leaves a track of light wherever its possessor may go. So when you meet somebody like that, I'd say that person knows Jesus and is is really trying to find what truth is all about. Not just Mm. intellectually, but in a practical way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, I fully am on board with what you're saying there and with, the, with that quote. Um, one of the things that was just occurring to me as you were speaking was um, I, I, I also see the, the, the consistent call of Paul all throughout the New Testament is about unity. It's about mm-hmm. be united, especially in this mission of what's happening. Obviously, then he's also talking to these these people who have a ton of division in their churches, or else we wouldn't have half the letters that he wrote because he would just be encouraging everybody. But um, 
but there's a lot of that that conversation. And obviously, if anything, we've seen Protestant Reformation, and then like you know, it went from one or two main expressions of Christianity between Catholicism and Orthodoxy to then now you have Protestantism, and it shatters into thousands. And um, maybe there's a strength in that, but there's also just a lot of a lot of division. Then you have Adventism that is not it's not immune to that either. I mean, obviously like you, you have like SoCal Adventism where I'm living now versus like say Adventism in Michigan. And that's just in the United States, let alone when you talk, you start to go globally. Um, and so it's sort of interesting to me to, to wonder like, what if that were to occur at the end where there is this great uniting? And I, and I ask you this, not as a gutchy question, but just as a genuine earnest question, like what if, what if there's some of what we're so, um, any one of us here is so intent about Adventism being, what if part of that is, isn't what it ends up being the United picture of in the end? And the reason I ask you that, ask you that is because like a lot of us grew up in, in spaces where there was a lot of like certainty. This is what it is. There is no room to, to really think outside of that box. Um, and then, as we grew up, you know, you start to gain this perspective that isn't, and I, and I, I understand that there's definitely a lot of people out there who they start to, they start to veer off, off of a, a sort of agreed upon path. And then they get really far out, you know, one direction, but let's just say that there's, I think a lot of us in the church, especially um, here in the West who maybe have gotten off the path of what we grew up with, but are still feel like we're, we're sort of in the, we're in, we're on the same path. We're headed the the same direction. Yes. Mm -hmm. In the family. Um, but maybe don't hold all of the same exact things. And I'm not, I'm trying, I'm not trying to be, what's the right word? Uh, ambiguous on purpose, as opposed to just sort of like a general heart for the church. We have this heart for the church, maybe disagree on some of the things. Um, and I think there's a value also in, in our generation of, of openness, not even, not so much openness of I'm open to literally anything, anything is possible, you know, don't ever have black and white beliefs, but there is this feeling of like, what if I am wrong about parts of this? And what if God in in time brings me about to a perspective that I, I didn't think was true or right or the way? Is that also a, maybe a value that, that you would hold? I'm not asking you to change anything that you've said today, but is there a heart that's, that would say, if that unity comes about and it means the leaving behind of some of the stuff that I thought I was so certain of, is there an openness to that? I, I'm just curious. Well, I think we have to be really careful not to carry <clears throat> a lot of cultural baggage into our religious understanding. Um, you know, um, haystacks have nothing to do with uh, our salvation. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I'm all, very but glad. We all, right. <laughs> but we all like them. I mean, well, most of people like them. Um, <laughs> every Thursday, so, <clears throat> every Thursday at, at, at my academy, probably, I think, ruined me for. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think really we're talking about the essentials of Christian life, mm -hmm. the essentials of what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian in the 21st century, just before the Lord's coming. And when you distill things down to that, you understand that there is cognitive knowledge about Scripture, and then there is the service part of using what, what you have. Uh, I just came back about a month ago from probably one of the most grueling trips I've ever taken. Nancy and I were uh, traveling together, my wife and I. I mean, 
four, five, six hours of sleep a night, boom, 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 one appointment after another. It was not a problem as far as where we were staying and lack of food and that kind of thing. I'm talking about demands, talking with people all the time, different appointments, just about all this kind of thing. And it was an amazing trip through what we call the Southern African Indian Ocean Division, which is the southern part of the continent, basically, and the Indian Ocean. And then the East Central Africa Division, which is central part, Congo, and all over into the east part. Um, the west part, I will be with them in November for about two weeks. And uh, by God's grace, we'll have a great time together. But in Africa, I'll tell you, God is doing some amazing stuff. They are really the epitome of what we like to share with people and uh, here in North America, it maybe hasn't been heard too much, but although I think people agree with it, total member involvement. Everybody doing something for Jesus. Everybody getting involved. I mean, you have countries like Rwanda, which has over a million members. I mean, in fact, there are many countries in Africa, a number of them, that have about a million or so. Uh, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Tanzania, Congo, Rwanda. When you get this critical mass of Seventh-day Adventists and they begin to influence a country of 20, 30 million people, it's unbelievable what is happening in government, in civic activities, in business. I mean, people know who Seventh-day Adventists are because of their influence. And one of the things that is so, two things actually that, that just, bring me to an understanding of how we can be united because you're talking about unity is that number one most of the new members thousands of them are young people they're your age and don't think that you're old okay <laughs> you're on the edge of 30 whatever and all that hey you're young yeah, uh, some of us have a couple kids, so they make us feel a little older waking up oh, in the middle of the night. So we've, much we've, older. Three of us, three of us have two kids each, so we're 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 aging quickly. It feels like as much yeah. as we love them. Well, you and 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 the Lord will help you to be wonderful parents. And uh, <laughs> I just have some good news for you. You'll make it through because some of us have too. <laughs> Amen. We we have three wonderful daughters, all believers, all in the church teaching their children. We have 10 grandchildren and wow. Uh, wow. They're, they're, they're just wonderful daughters. Anyway, but the whole aspect of the young people in Africa, it's amazing. They're just so excited about being part of the Adventist church and sharing. They're not holding it back. They're not kind of, you know, navel gazing and just, you know, trying to pick on each other. No, they're outward reaching. So I think one of the most powerful ways to be in unity is number one, to try by God's grace to understand what truth is, and then ask the Lord, now help me share it. When you're sharing it with people, when you're actively helping others, you are almost inoculated against the kind of infighting that we see happening in places where the church is not growing. Uh, the, the, the church in Africa is just exploding. In fact, the East Central Africa division now has 5 million members, just one division. Hmm. 
and it's and and their goal their goal in the next two years is to double that. Can you believe it? <laughs> well, by God's for, grace, it'll ha it'll happen by God's grace. But and for context, I think I think here in the NAD, it's we're about a million or or less. Or I, I think so. Just for context, like I mean, that's those are smaller countries than <clears throat> than that uh, far greater uh, membership. Of course, this is the cradle of Adventism in North American division. We have about 1.2, 1.3 million members in North America, the United States and Canada. And uh, God is blessing his people here also in many ways. But if we could just get everybody focused on sharing this truth, even in the process of sharing the truth, you will learn and grow in unity simply because the Lord will see to it. You're sharing what you believe. I, I am curious though, because I agree with you. I've seen it. And and when we serve people, it's like, man, we are we we're in it together. So I fully am on board with what you're saying. I think the problem may actually lie with what you're saying just before that, which is the truth part, because not everybody agrees on what that part is. So it's like, what are you sharing? And I guess I'm kind of curious from your perspective as the president of the of the general conference, like what what is your role in the and I'm genuinely interested. Like, what do you see sure. your role, or maybe what has been the precedence for the president's role in? Is is there a part of the role being safeguarding a specific um, a, a specific idea of what that truth is that ought to be shared? Is there precedence for sort of guiding through disagreements as opposed to to, to safeguarding? Like, what what is the yeah? What is the role of the president in that space? Uh, of course, the president is not uh, the czar, he's not the king, <laughs> and uh, he's not the all-powerful ruler. It's not a command and control arrangement uh, at any level, for that matter, when you're the president. But You do have a lot of are, influence, though, correct? You do. Yeah. You do. And, and you, want to, you want to use that in the best way you can under God's guidance. Uh, I have in my possession a, a carving uh, of a hand, and in the hand there is an egg. And this particular carving was given to my father uh, by the uh, Asantahini, who is the king of the Ashanti people group, the Akan people group in West Africa. And I've met uh, a more recent Asantahini, but this particular Asantehini king gave it to my father, and I, and I prize that because it's a simple mm. carving. It has some kind of blonde wood, you know, but it has this hand with egg. And it symbolizes authority. Mm. If, you, if you exercise too much power, you will crush the egg. Mm. If you do not exercise at least some guidance, and direction, the egg will slip out of your hand. And so as a leader, you want to ask the Lord, help me to be a humble leader, a leader who will listen to you, because God is the one who can impress the leader as to how to lead and to guide. Definitely a leader in the Seventh-day Adventist church, it doesn't matter whether you're a president of something or a treasurer, a secretary, department director, a pastor, a teacher, doesn't matter what it is. You have responsibility to safeguard uh, truth. Now, <laughs> you don't do that by acting like a big uh, policeman or something. You point people mm. back to what truth is. 
and you, you point people back to the word. That's why all four of you who are involved in ministry, whether it's in teaching, uh, Sean or Anthony in, in ministry, whatever you folks are doing, um, you always want to point people back to the word. I mean, you know, the word uh, scripture says, you know, in Second Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And why? That the man of God or people of God, the women of God, men of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the Bible is there for a purpose. We're told in Isaiah chapter 40 that the, that the word of God will last forever. It's not something that's going to disappear. It's rock mm. solid. And as we, as we point people back to the Bible, we, I don't know everything. I don't know the interpretation of everything. I, mm. I can't, I can't explain everything, but I can certainly help to point people back to the word. Mm. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist Church accepts what we call 28 fundamental beliefs. Those 28 fundamental beliefs are based upon the Bible. And some people might say, oh, that's just a bunch of doctrine. It's just so dry. Mm -hmm. It's so legalistic. Let me tell you, every single one of those doctrines has Christ at the core, uh, the, the, the Godhead, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, they are, these, th these truths are eternal. Now, can we explain every little nuance about truth? No, we're ever growing in that. Mm -hmm. But the basics and the pillars that we have are so uh, valuable and they have been established over a period of time and spirit of prophecy tells us we need to hold on to those pillars. Now it doesn't mean, you know, that the president of the GC has to be some kind of, you know, special uh, uh, lifeguard or somebody who's there with a machine gun going to mow anybody <laughs> down who, who doesn't believe in this. Right. No, but we need to foster it. We need, we need to foster a belief in the word of God and an appreciation for the spirit of prophecy and for the daily impressions the Holy Spirit gives us. And so I suppose, uh, Jesse, really the, the most important thing is that the president of the GC or of a conference or division, union, whatever, or the pastor, uh, you need to point people back to a personal relationship with Jesus because nobody is going to be saved because they were the president of the general conference. I, I'm, I'm a sinner at the foot of the cross like anybody else. All of us need that personal connection with Jesus. And if we don't have that, we're not saved in groups. I mean, there, there are people groups around the world that um, whatever the chief says, that's what they do. And they go as a group. Well, that's a different mentality than the West, of course. But we're not saved by groups. We're saved individually by the, the grace of Jesus uh, for each one of us. So I suppose, and we've been hitting a lot of different things in our discussion here, but really, I, I pick from, from what you've been asking and what you've been inferring and all of that. How do we know what truth is and how can we arrive at an understanding of truth so that it motivates us to our mission? And I suppose I would have to say that uh, our understanding of 
full truth is continually improving every day because I don't know everything. I, I, you know, I can read the same with you. You read a passage in scripture. I never saw that before. I read that two or three times. I I didn't see that. And, um, we just had a a week of prayer last week with Doug Batchelor. You mentioned that you interviewed him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wonderful week of prayer. And he focused on simple things. But the whole theme was come to Jesus so you can go for Jesus. Mm. And he talked about Jonah and about how everything listened to God from the Ninevites to the whale, to the gourd, to the, to, to the worm. Everybody listened except the prophet. Except Jonah. <laughs> right. Except Jonah. Ironic. I mean, he talked about the three, the four lepers who, you know, were outside the city and God created this amazing uh, disturbance and the whole army that was surrounding Jerusalem left and uh, they were just feasting. And then they finally said, well, I guess we better tell the people in the city, you know, <laughs> and uh, talked about Zacchaeus and, and his, his relationship with the Lord and his conversion experience. And then he talked about Isaiah, you know, where he, Isaiah had this amazing encounter with God. And then it's something I like to preach on in Isaiah chapter six. And, uh, you know, how after this, whom shall we send for who will go for us, mm. which is an interesting allusion to mm-hmm. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'm willing to go. I will go. And that's another theme that uh, we have used now, which has just gone all over the world. I will go. And you know where that started? With a couple young people at the Universidad Adventista del Plata in Argentina. Yeah. Mm. And those young people got together and they were, thinking about a theme for their mission conference. And they came up with, I will go. Of course, it was in Spanish, but (laughs) I will go. And uh, so we asked them, would you mind if we use that for our strategic planning uh, program, reach the world? I will go. No, no. Yeah, you go ahead and use it. But they wanted, I think, everybody to know young people came up. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Eric, I think, Eric, I think you had a question. Um. You know, let me let me let me think about it a little bit longer. Okay, I was going to say with Eric before, um, but I wanted to touch on Pastor Wilson. You mentioned a little bit about how you know, even you and all of us were, we don't know everything. Like there's still things that we're learning through the Bible when we go through stories, through verses, even even single verses or passages where we'll we'll have that light bulb moment go on, and and that process of sanctification, both in our way of understanding Scripture and the way we practice it, it's in some ways, a messy process. We're not perfect. We keep we keep growing in Christ, that process of sanctification. I think as I hear you talk about this, it, it does feel reassuring to, to think of this Adventism, a reality where we're growing together in Christ, where we may be coming from different cultures and, and generations and perspectives, even around the world, where we can grow in that understanding together, that idea of unity, where we're, we're moving towards you know, when Jesus comes again and that will, that glorification process that will happen. But part of, part of my thought though, is as you were speaking about that, is I, I still question if that idea of Adventism, does that practically exist where there is that room of growth? And, and I don't want to use the term, but I'll, I'll use it anyways, wiggle room, where if there is 
disagreement on certain topics or issues within Adventism, is there truly wiggle room for us to grow together, even when we're, you know, we, we would all agree we want to glorify Christ. We want to show and go around the world and spread his message. But we have these different topics um, that we haven't gone, you know, into ultra detail about, but I'm, I'm sure that those who are listening, you know the topics within our church that have become issues or, or hotbed issues. The, the point is what we don't need to focus on those specific points. The, the bottom line is if we have those different areas, whether we're in Adventist employment as teachers or pastors or leaders, I know that's, that's a whole other layer too, is if you're representing the church in those leadership positions, or if you're just a member, is there really that wiggle room to a certain point where we can still grow together in that mission. And then how do we also know at, at a certain point, you know what, it's gone too far, we're clearly diverging and it's scattering the message, confusing you know, the Babylon idea of causing chaos. You know, It's hard to distinguish at times what that looks like, where we can disagree on certain areas and say, you know what, we're still working on the same message. We're bringing the Adventist message to the world. We're gonna see Jesus come. We can still have that excitement and hope Versus like what's versus, totally versus this totally is off base. too much scattering where where it's actually you know these are the as as a you know a term that's used those are the deceived ones right we they're they're only and I'm, I'm not saying that to accuse anyone I'm just saying it's a general term that's used right like oh well I, some, so, so yeah I, I am curious that. I'm curious about what you have to say about that Pastor Will so like yeah what, where's the wiggle room what's what's sort of the fences to in, in your perspective. Well, I mean, I'm not going to set up fences. That would be a disaster. <laughs> sure, yeah, sure. So, yeah. uh, I, would, I would say definitely the core beliefs of what the Adventist church uh, believes in and has voted. Uh, you know, there may be a little wiggle room here and there on some aspects. Uh, who knows exactly what the 144,000 is, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, who, who, can, who can completely explain Daniel 11 and Daniel 12? Well, we're growing in that. We're, we're trying to find our way through. Uh, but on the, in the areas of salvation, in the areas of the, the authenticity of Scripture, the power of conversion, what the Holy Spirit does in a life, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't controvert those things that you, that you actually see in the lives of people. The beautiful truth of the Sabbath and the second coming and, and the... The, the true worship of God as opposed to a false worship, which is really what the three angels' messages are helping us to stay away from. And, you know, here's, here's Paul talking in Philippians chapter 3, and he says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, all the confusion and the problems and everything else, I'm reaching forward to those things that are before, and I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I think if a person is genuinely, humbly looking to find Jesus, he will be found and he will, Christ will bring, and the Holy Spirit will bring the unity. What keeps the Seventh-day Adventist church together? Our doctrines, that certainly helps. The Bible, absolutely it helps. The Sabbath school lesson all around the world, the same one. Well, that helps too, and, and all kinds of, but the thing that really keeps the Seventh-day Adventist Church together is the Holy Spirit. There is no other possibility because we're so many different cultures, so many different countries, over 210 countries we're working in, so many different languages, perspectives, 
And yet, I'll tell you, you walk into any Adventist, just about any Adventist church, I'll say, anywhere in the world, and you'll feel at home. Because you know you're with people who believe in the Lord and his precious truth and his soon coming. That is true. I do feel at home wherever, whenever I go somewhere else. Eric, go for it. Uh, Pastor Wilson, I, uh, I'm just trying to th- formulate you know, my question here, and I, I appreciate what you've said and shared so far. Um, I, w- I guess to p- speak plainly, I would think, I, w- I would say that um, in you know, the past 10 years, our goal as a church to seek unity um, or uniformity has caused, I would say, more uh, disunity than um, perhaps it's it's solved. I know that you're in a you know a position as the president of the general conference that um, is you're often stuck between a rock and a hard place, and you know you can never make everyone happy. I know your goal isn't to make everyone happy. Your goal is to follow the scripture and to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, but how can we, looking to the future, um, maybe, uh, and you could speak just from your, your personal perspective, how do you see a path forward for the church um, where we can be united in our mission um, when we are, the fact is maybe we're not united in all of our beliefs or how we practice um, you know, our, our, our Seventh-day Adventism? How can we move forward as a United Church when there is the reality that there is that dissonance there? Uh, it's a fair question and, and, and a, a question that I think a lot of people think about. Um, I think there are divergent uh, views. We know the scripture tells us, Spirit of Prophecy tells us, that there will be a sifting and a final um, dividing. Uh, and the divide is not over whether or not some church administrator has been able to browbeat people into unity or uniformity, because uniformity is not necessarily what we're after. Uh, unity in Christ is what will come, but not because it'll be decreed by an annual council or a general conference session. It will come when people genuinely are seeking truth. And I will leave this uh, because we're kind of coming to the end of our of yeah. our time yeah. here, but I Go will leave it. this. I will leave this in your hands. That the greatest unifier is going to be being faithful to this word, because this word represents. It's the written word representing the living word, who is Jesus Christ. You can't divorce it. You can't just say, "Well, you know, God is." not in the Bible. God is, you know, God is all around us. Well, God is omnipresent. Absolutely. But these are his instructions. And if we're faithful to the word, and I agree, people don't all have the same perspective as to what they read. But if you're really seeking truth, I absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And I don't think we're going to be in heaven one corner of heaven is going to be debating still, you know, on this <laughs> subject and that. No, we're, right. we're going to be united because we will have been transformed through Christ's power. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the best thing I can suggest for unity in the Lord is to be faithful to his word and his calling for every one of us and have that personal relationship with the Lord. That's what's going to bring unity.
Well, thank you so much, Pastor Wilson. I I think we could probably, I, I mean, I know I have so many questions oh, and for sure. things to talk about. We could probably talk yeah. for like three hours, but we're super grateful for you giving this period of time. Um, and I just want to say this, and I mean this with my whole heart as, as we leave you here, uh, that no matter who it is in the position that you are, uh, that we all hope that there is a uh, a move of God moving forward for for the world coming out of this this movement. Um, we love the uh, the church that we're in, and we're glad that we're all in it together. So thank you so much. Thank you, and it's it's been fun to be with you. And uh, yeah. God bless you as you continue to have an impact and an influence on not only young people but a lot of older ones too. And, uh, and, and your littlest ones, the ones, (laughs) you know, when we get to heaven, uh, the Lord is actually, I think, going to, going to talk to each of us and say, okay, you did this and that and helped a lot of people, but where is your little flock? Mm -hmm. So take care of your Mm -hmm. children, take care of your spouse, uh, be all that it means of being a husband. I'm talking to four yeah. four men here, and yeah. God will guide you in a very special way as you as you care for and, and and guide your family as the priest of the family. They're looking to you for spiritual guidance, and what a privilege it is to work together with your spouse and your children in helping people see the Lord can do things right in our own homes, in our own lives. Praise Him, and you can be a great witness that way. But God bless you in your work and in the podcast, and may you continue to uh, improve and show what a an Adventist really is, a Seventh Day Adventist. <laughs> and I know that God will lead you in that, and and we're all headed to that climactic day. I mean, I'll tell you, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is coming soon. Maranatha. Yeah. yeah. Maranatha. Amen. Amen. Well, thank, thank you again, thank you Pastor Wilson. We really appreciate you and blessings as you move forward. Thank you. God be with you. Well, we just talked with Ted Wilson. So that That was happened. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, I just, I feel like overall that was, it was a solid conversation. And and I just want to say if Mm -hmm. elder Wilson, you're listening to this, we, we would have loved to have said a lot of the stuff that we're saying right now to you in person. Unfortunately, we had, you know, definitely limited time. But uh, it so sounds ominous when you say it. Like, it no, 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 I just, I just want to say that, like, none of this. We is would have loved this... to say this to your face. <laughs> to your face. <laughs> no, no, no. But none of this, none of this is said in the spirit of like trying to yeah. say it behind somebody's back or anything sure, like that. Sure, sure, sure. I just wanted to respond and, and would have loved to have responded in the moment. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, one of the things I, I just wanted to say, like, it's, it is an interesting thing. We had, I think, the same response ourselves when we interviewed Doug Bachelor because I think, mm-hmm. m- m- like, all four of us even though we disagree on some things, conservative, liberal, like whatever you want to call it, like when it comes down to it, we're probably more liberal than most of the traditional side of the church. Mm-hmm. And so talking with like, say Doug Batchelor, it's like, I don't love how he goes about everything. I don't love everything he says, but then you, you sit down and talk with a person human to human and you're like, man, like it's, it's really, it's a meaningful thing to talk to a human being. Right. Mm-hmm. I still don't agree with everything you said. And I still disagree with your methods and, and, and a lot of things, but I'm glad to know you as a human being. And I think I felt the same mm-hmm. thing with Ted where it's like, I think that there is a genuine earnestness in his heart. Like I, I, it was striking me, striking me. And I mean, I granted he, you know, you could, you can kind of say talking points or whatever, but it did feel like for the most part, he is speaking from a space that is just like, I truly believe 
what I'm saying. And there's a logical consistency to say, like, mm-hmm. if you, you know, if, if you are, if you believe that Ellen White was inspired as the prophets were inspired, then like, you're going to take what she says and read from, from her consistently. And like, it just, all of that's logical consistency. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with everything, but like, I think there's an earnestness there. And I don't think that there's a, like a, a, a nefarious, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think some right. people may sure. feel that way. I don't feel that. Yeah. There's some like there's some like politicians or religious people you listen to them talk and you're like, "I'm uncertain whether or not you believe this genuinely yeah. or oh, this yeah, is yeah. just a character you play," you know? Like you're watching the news or whatever. Yeah. Um and that was refreshing just in talking with him. You you do get the sense like genuinely he believes everything that he's saying, which which is it, it's refreshing in, in an era where I do at the cynic in me does question often like people in authority, like, do you even believe what you're saying? Or is this just like a character that you, you put on, you know, when the camera's rolling? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. You know, when, when we have these kind of conversations, it was the same thing with, with Doug Batchelor as well, where you, you can only get to so many things and, and so many pieces of a conversation. And um, I, I, I do hope that, it, it was beneficial per, for people to to kind of think about it here here from his perspective. Maybe in a long form, you know, there's not a long a lot of long form uh, content where where I, at least personally I've seen Elder Wilson talking in this kind of way where we're having discussion. And so you know, he he's had to stand in front of a camera for you know media purposes, whether it's for the general conference for a session or. You know, I know that there's sermons that he's done as well, but it's that's also a different. You know, that's that's not a dialogue, mm-hmm. that's not a discussion, and yeah. so I hope that in the same way that we've done in, before, that it it allowed everyone, not just us, for people to see maybe some of the nuance or the thought process that goes behind his beliefs or the way that he 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 talks about Adventism. Um, but you know, the last question I asked at the end there, it, it was genuine. Where was long know, as what, heck. You were going well, so much. You yeah, said your question, question and then circle yeah. back around and then circle back around. Well, and this circle is what I ask if you listen, if you've listened to Seeking What They Saw long enough, you know that this is what I do. It's it's because I'm verbally processing as I share. That's true. And there's always so much nuance. Like it's so hard for, I'll just say for myself, it's hard for me to, uh, to share a question without circling back because there's so mm-hmm. many layers. Because yeah. as I say it, I know that the response may not always answer the question I'm really asking. Right. Yeah. If you just say one sentence, it may be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of and, and that's my failure to always thank you say for explaining yourself. Now finally get to what you're actually gonna say. <laughs> this is thank not you. fair. You did this to me. You <laughs> set me up. You set you're me up. Monster. No, but I genuinely ask, you know, because you, you talk about sanctification and pretty much every Adventist Christian will believe in this process of God or the Holy Spirit working through you. Mm-hmm. But we disagree sometimes on what that result looks like. Oh yeah, you know, for this sure. is the yeah, these are definitely. the ways that you keep Sabbath. You know, a good Sabbath keeper. This is, you know, the way that you observe. You know, these certain doctrine or or the way that you interpret Scripture. Like if you're really sanctified, you'll come to light and fall in line mm-hmm. in those specific areas. And I don't. He didn't word it that way, but I know that a lot of people listening will feel that way. That mm-hmm. that oh, if 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 you're really on this process of sanctification, we will fall in line into these specific interpretations of scripture. And so I I asked about the wiggle room because I I feel like there's a lot of times, and I'm not saying it's all on Pastor Wilson, I'm saying in general, it feels like 
you know, if you're an employee of the church or if you're in leadership, sometimes it doesn't feel like there is that room to wiggle or to wrestle oh, without yeah. their feeling like there might be consequences, either socially in the church or even employment-wise. And so and that's kind of like, why I, If this is fair to say, I, I think, again, it's like not trying to put words in Ted Wilson's mouth. Sure. However, it, it is interesting because often if you grew up in a more traditional space and had negative experiences there or maybe felt like you wanted to push outside of that, it, it can definitely feel the way that he, he, he speaks that, that that's the same, that's the same aura like rhetoric as that church. Yeah. That, that you might have left. Now I will say this though. I, I do, I do agree with like, you know, 75% of what he's saying, like what he is, what he's laying out is absolutely like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful picture of Christianity and of mission and, and what he's talking about, about what's happening with the church around the world. I mean, it's amazing. It honestly is like, there's, there's, there's no cynical part about that for, for, for me. Um, but I think there was two major things that I definitely saw as things that I, I, I was just like, oh man, I wish we had the time to talk about this with him because I would have rather have talked about this with him than talk about it after, but again, time. Yeah. So um, the first was that, and he even mentioned he liked to talk about it, but it was like, this would have been the entire point of the podcast had we even broached this. But his perspective of scripture is definitely one of those things that I think, I don't know how much wiggle room there is in in that space. Um, I think what I was, what I hear out of his, out of his space, out of his, um, his way of thinking, um, that, that at least what I, what we were privy to. And because it sort of reflects maybe a spaces that we came from is that there is the truth and the truth is very specific about what it means. And, and it's maybe so black and white that then you get into that space and you realize actually, like I'm trying to earnestly seek scripture here. I'm not trying to push it and make it say what I want it to say. I'm just like, if I'm looking at this, honestly, it says things that are different than your perspective, what truth is. And then what's interesting is not, not even interesting. What actually ends up being harmful is that then you end up in the space where now you're sort of pushed out of the, 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 the way that people are talking about truth, because now you're talking about truth that that conflicts with their version of truth. And so that's part of the, the problem that I was running into is like, he kept talking about, we need to get back to truth, but I'm like, that ultimately is the thing that we're fighting yeah. about. That ultimately is the thing where people are earnestly that's seeking. That's the disagreement right there. Yeah. People are earnestly <laughs> seeking scripture and not trying to just read their own stuff into it, mm-hmm. but are coming to different conclusions. However, because it's outside of the conclusion, I mean, he, he mentioned, um, that we believe in a recent six day creation or seven, yeah, six, seven right. day creation or else Sabbath doesn't matter. And from my own reading of scripture, I'm like, I'm okay if Genesis one and two are not literal and are actually more poetic. And I'm okay with Sabbath still being a massive part of what God intended for us, not because you need it to be seven literal days, but because it's even reinstituted later in Exodus and it still has meaning in the, in the grand, uh, grand idea of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not even lessening the authority of scripture. It's just seeing it differently. This seeing, you know, Genesis one and two as being like a, a, uh, what's the right word? Um, having a different literary context than we may have traditionally ascribed to it. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make scripture say whatever the heck I want it to say. It's just that that might be another possibility. And that's part of why I asked, like, what if in the end times when everyone's united, mm-hmm. like, is there room, is there openness for it to not be the way? And I didn't word it this way 
Um, but kind of where I was getting at is like, is there room for it to not be the way that you have laid out? That's how I wanted you to phrase it. I was hoping you'd phrase it that way, but then you didn't. And I was like, oh, I went, because that's really ultimately the question. I didn't want to be overly confrontational. um, Not not out of Which is surprising for you. Well, no, just because it's like, it's because I was counting on you. Not, not on the well, podcast. It's usually Anthony that's like, to, to play devil's advocate, the yeah, other side would say... That's true. Well, no, here, and here's why. Because I do, and I and I, I feel for, for Elder Wilson on this, that there is so much like gotcha questioning. There is so yeah. much like, yeah. We're trying to I'm going to lead you that. on and then stab you. You know, like, it's, I didn't want to do that. Um, so I, I hope that he felt that from us. And, and I by no means now want to say things on the back end of this that are that are negative against him. It's, it's just as much as like... That's part of why I didn't just want to like, yeah, you know, try and have that same spirit. I mean, my question was that I w- wish we could have got to was similar. Was like, you're you have this ideal of truth that if we could all just agree on the truth, then like that would create the unity exactly. And I'm like, <laughs> that's literally the problem. Is yeah, the, <laughs> it's like <laughs> literally impossible. <laughs> yeah, like as soon as you plant your flag. And say these are the th- not only is this the truth, but this expression of this belief. So people yeah. already don't believe on the be- agree on the belief, and then it's like this expression of the belief is the truth. Then uh, people who consider themselves Adventists and want to be Adventists and feel like they're in the family, all of a sudden they feel excluded. They feel like then is there room well, for me at the table? For instance, he know? had a yeah. he had a sermon where he. He preached like about ten things. There's ten, or it's like a, a list of things that were yeah. not that were dangerous to the Adventist Church. And one of the things he said, in uh, with a bunch of other things, um, and he and he did speak out against like anti trinitarian He wasn't just focusing on liberalism, but mm-hmm. like he did say something like, "Our music should not sound like it's a rock concert." <laughs> I was just like, "Yeah, like that's just not that's a very that. specific cultural expression." But that's a black and white T capital T truth. In, to, to, to a lot of people in that more traditional space and mm-hmm. you get out of that you're like I can worship God without that it has like like worshiping God in a in a, in a more contemporary way has the dangers that that worshiping God in that way has it's very easy to you know kind of become it can become a show very easily but then I'm like have you been in my in, in my traditional church that I grew up in where the person up front was like this is my identity is standing up here and directing a hymn with my hands you know mm-hmm. like this is who I am and I will hold on to and it's like you can still be the star of the show you know as a right. hymn singer so it's like everything has yeah. danger to it but that but the difference is is you're okay with the dangers of what you know you're not okay with the dangers of what you don't know as well and so then that becomes truth this we have to stay in this box because it's safe and that's and and yeah, it's just like it's like we don't even we don't agree on that. And, yeah, like, and, and and it's yeah, okay. Yeah, and I'll even say like just to just to speak on like I don't know if I'd say in defense, but like he's not here. But I'd say like it's fine for you to hold that belief, right? If you yeah, want to, sure. if you if you if you really feel convicted that you know the type of music that's in the worship service like that that it's not just the heart behind the person there, and if they're being spirit led, which which we talked at length with with Josh Jamison about music and worship, mm-hmm. what the real heart behind that's supposed to be. Uh, we can we can disagree. The the challenge then becomes, you know, whether or not we like you said we make it that capital T truth versus you know. For me, I'm convicted on this, but I can I can still, you know, look at and and he mentioned like he said pretty much go to any Adventist church and you'll find that you're at home. Mm-hmm. And and I and I'm challenged by that. I, I'm not mm. saying it's wrong, but I'm challenged by you don't know how true um, that is. Well, I, again, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying that I'm challenged by that idea. I, I, in many cases, I think it's true, right? There's especially certain things culturally that, you know, there's just this idea of an avenue small world, right? 
And you, you saw at the start, so he didn't say this on air, but he mentioned my dad as a pastor, like he knew my dad, right? It's a, it's an example of having a small world. Like I, I've heard <laughs> yeah, that right. wherever that's I wild. go, I've heard it at college. I've heard others like, you know who Roland Lenhoff is, right? Yeah. And it's, that's the kind of thing. I, I like that part of Adventism where there's that family small aspect where we're connected. But at the same time, I'm challenged by this idea that you look at Anthem or Crosswalk mm-hmm. Or you look at a a church that, you know, maybe in the Michigan conference or somewhere around the world and say that any Adventist, whether they're they're from that, you know, church or they're visiting, right? It could be vice versa, right? Liberal or conservative. And I'm challenged by would they truly feel home? And that's that was the heart of that idea of is there wiggle room? Because people have left, right? Yeah. People have left the church that don't feel at home. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and it's not just people that are trying to rebel against God. You know, I'm not just talking about atheists. I'm talking about well-meaning Christians mm-hmm. that that even love a, the vast majority of Adventist beliefs and culture that have left because they don't feel a part of it. They don't feel like there's space for them. And so yeah. that was my heart behind it was, you know, are we, are we really living that out? Not just mm-hmm. for Pastor Wilson. Yeah. I'm just saying as a church, are we living out a place where if I go to Anthem or I go to the most conservative traditional church, that it's still home? Right. Like, are yeah. we, and, and that's kind of up to the local church, but at the same time, you know, what we say on a larger scale matters. Well, that, I that think rhetoric matters. Eric, Eric, I think you want to say something. I'll just, just respond to what you're saying, Sean. I think what ends up happening is we could feel that way, maybe more so, except that mm-hmm. then the division has been exacerbated by some of the actions. And I want to get to that in a second. Some of the actions of the, of the general conference, Eric, yeah. were you going to say something? Yeah, no, I was just going to, I mean, I think we all kind of feel the same way um, about, truth and i don't know if it's sort of a product of our generation where i don't know i don't think that's fair to say a little postmodernism creeping in you're saying i think we in general our our age group we're more cautious to say like we have the truth for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. like we're maybe more humble in that regard which is i'm not saying it's bad to because he's the, well, the president the, the, of the church, right? Like he kind of <laughs> needs to be like hundred percent confident yeah, in what true. the church believes. Um, but I think we feel We're very uncomfortable with, cause it's like, well, how do I know that my interpretation of the Bible or what I feel the or Holy yours. Spirit is telling me yeah. is the correct one? Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. if you look at history, the batting average isn't great. Right. So yeah. for like all of church that's a good history. way to put it. it, it no. So I don't know. I it, it it felt I'm not wanting to put words in his mouth um or jump to conclusions because I enjoyed their conversation with him, but it does feel a little bit like when he was saying if you if you search you know, the person searches the Bible and relies on the Holy Spirit, like will come to truth. Yeah, what does that felt mean? like he was it's saying really optimistic. Like, we'll come to agree with what my stance is and what the, what the official church stance is, like they'll come to see that, which is, I get it. Cause you should believe that on some level, right? That what you believe is the truth, but yeah. also it felt, I, don't well, know, I guess I'm stuck. This, there. Is, <laughs> this is where it comes down. And, and Eric's question was like the hardest hitting one of the whole thing. Like yeah, I, mean, I was so glad Eric asked that question. <laughs> um, but, but I will say that's, what's interesting. And, and I think why we asked the, the question about the role of the president, because this is what's so interesting to me about how these years have gone is that there is, I think a way of leading. It's not going to be perfect. 
by any means, but there's a way of leading where you can lead through this and give people the feeling that, yes, you can be part of this too. I may not believe like you do, but like, hey, we're headed in the same direction. And I believe that you have a, an earnest and good heart. And, and let's just say, let's take music for example. It's like, you could lead in such a way that's like, hey, my preference absolutely and wholeheartedly is hymns. But I, I see what's happening over there and I affirm that like God is part of part of this movement and what you're doing is a modern expression of whatever that is. Okay. That in and of itself, man, like that's a wonderful way to move forward as a church. It's a wonderful way for all of us to be able to say, like, hey, I see you and I see your traditional church and I see what it's doing, and that's wonderful. And then I see, and then for them to say the the, the other thing, vice versa. However, when the president doesn't do that, that sets the tone for the rest of it. Because now, if you're traditional, you can look at them and be like, yeah, look at those sinners over there. Or if you're, if, you're, um, if you're in a more contemporary space, you can become defensive and be like, well, we're doing everything better than you because you're all stuck in the past. It's like, it's so easy for that to become part of the spirit of the church because of how the leadership is treating the subject. And, and, uh, and we'll say this and, um, and, and we don't mean this as like a, 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 you know, a revelation, but he did ask, he did say that he wouldn't, he wouldn't answer any questions on women's ordination. And so that's why we didn't bring that up. But what was so interesting uh, about the conversation or the, the answer to his question, to Eric's question at the end there, or no, was it Sean's, the wiggle room? No, I don't remember which one it was, but it was the one about like where he was starting to talk about how, uh, how a president needs to lead. Maybe it was even the answer to my question. And I'm sitting there like, this is, this is terribly ironic because he was talking about not being heavy handed, talking about not not um, uh, uh, forcing the issue and all that stuff. And I'm like, what were compliance committees? <laughs> like, what was that? Because mm, that yeah. is that is the exact thing where all of a sudden everybody who's not in the traditional space gets the gets the clear calling, it's clear, clear messaging, messaging that hey, guess what? If you don't if you don't fall into line then with with this idea of what truth is then we will be coming for you and you could say that it's with a heavy heart that we're doing this you know whatever it is you could say we didn't never want we never wanted to but the messaging is absolutely clear and and even if it is with the best of intentions from the leadership side it's like you have to see the wisdom in this that putting together a compliance committee in this context is kind of a overreach you know well it's tough because it's all about perception, like you said, too. Like you can, we, yeah. we weren't in the meetings. We don't know the actual purpose of the compliance. Like we have media outlets that report about the compliance committee, right? We don't, we, we haven't been in those discussions. So again, you know, we don't know the heart behind all of that. It's, but the, it doesn't matter to a certain point. Like you said, Jesse, it's the powerful. perception. Oh yeah. And so, and you can't be perfect about that. You're not going to like, we're very open and understand that you can't please everyone. Yeah, you can't make sure. everyone happy. You're going to, you're going to, upset people when you're at a higher level of, um, of leadership, no matter where you are and who you are and who you, you know, tend to lean towards, it doesn't matter. Um, and so he's in that impossible position as president, you know, and he's navigated that in, in, in an admirable way where he's learned how to have thick skin and stay convicted in what he believes. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Anthony, you said he, he comes across very genuine. Um, for sure. Yeah. But, but having said all that at the same time, there is that, that challenge of when you see the result of the last decade and a half, it, it does feel like we've become more divided. When, yeah. Eric, so, goes, when Eric goes, yeah, we, we're talking about, as it's saying, 
we're we're talking about unity, but what you have done has brought disunity. Well, <laughs> not he saying didn't that. Say, and, and he didn't say that. And I, I won't say that either. I don't. I don't think it's no, no, all no. on him, Eric, right? But <laughs> just the way Eric phrased it. The way it was Eric so phrased great. it. Right. It was yeah. Great. Well, and and it's fair because we have to be careful because you know we're not trying to pin this on one person. You know, yeah. he's he's yeah. part of an office. And a, and yeah, a, and, and, and I mean, there's a, a yeah. much larger movement in the direction that he's he's also yeah. he's championing something, but he's not championing that on his own. You know, like that is is part of something else yeah. right right so you know and he has to be at the head or the front of all of that and that's that's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure but mm-hmm. but like i said again going back to just when we look at how you know over the last 10 15 years and stuff it feels like we've gone more divided and mm-hmm. it's just tough to to look at that and say well how you know the compliance committee idea it's hard to see at least from from ground level how that creates unity or creates a allowance yeah. for, hey, we're working on this together. It does feel or it gives the impression of we have it right and now we're going to enforce or police that. It feels where, authoritarian. Where he was very, but he was very adamant in saying that's not the the role of the general conference or, yeah. or, his, or yeah. his leadership. So again, I'm not saying that he is inconsistent in what he believes or what he's saying. It just comes across that way. It feels it that comes way. across well, that way to the public. So I'm I'm wondering where that dissonance is. Where is that? Mm-hmm. You know, what would solve if 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 we take and and I believe to take him at his genuine genuine word of what he believes the role is of the of the president's office. How do we take that and then communicate in a consistent way where we are genuinely in unity, where we're working together mm-hmm. even with those disagreements? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know the answer. I I just know that that's not how people feel. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you're on the more traditional side, I think you're 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 more so wholeheartedly in the space of of like, hey, Elder Wilson's leadership. But also, if you're in a more traditional space, this is just sort of like sort of how 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 psychology works is if you tend to be in a more traditional space, you tend to take the word of the leader at face value a lot easier. Um, I mean, granted, sure. liberals will do that with liberal leaders, but it's I mean, there's just maybe more of that 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 tendency, and I think I see that where it's like. There's a lot of us who have experienced, let's just, I'll just speak for the four of us, we've experienced enough um, outside, of our, uh, uh, outside of our bubble that, that's, that, that hit us on some level as, as ringing true. And what I mean by that is like, we, you know, someone spoke to us you know, in the context of a, of a close friendship and said, this just really hurt me and I don't get it mm. and I don't understand. Mm. And you hear that and you're like, man, like I can't, you're not out there just trying to, you know, getting, getting pulled away by the devil, you know, it's, this is, this is an earnest hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we see that and we're like, man, you have to hold that intention. And then, and then it's, and, and that's where I I can, I get what he's saying. We're like, truth is the first thing. And then serving together is the, is the next thing. And that brings unity together. Right. I'm fully on board with that. But if you're not willing to understand that truth might be a bit wider and that's, that's dude, I understand that that's scary. Like, yeah, that alone is a huge hurdle. (laughs) For a because, lot of people, because that that is that is the thing that's so striking about Jesus is Jesus. He says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and then he goes out there, and his his widening of what truth is, which his I road, think it yeah. sounds scary, is is different because it's it, he 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 takes it. If you're more in that more traditional space, guess what? You got to go and be a good Samaritan. You don't get to walk by the people who are hurting, you know, just because that is the right that is the law of it, you know. No, you actually have to step into that and and be the hands and feet of Jesus. But if you're also in a more liberal space, Jesus was not 
he wasn't fully gray. It wasn't just like, oh, everything's gray. You know, there oh, was yeah. definitely a hard truth there. But there's there's sort of a wider space that I think Jesus occupies. And then we come in and we tend to say, this is the way and this is the only way. And here's the box around it. And that's what I think I felt still from from Elder Wilson is that there is this smaller box, but it's couched in these words. Um, and I don't, again, I don't mean to accuse as much. I, w- I would have loved to have said this. It's couched in these words that sound wider than they are. Yeah. Right. Like, like the, 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 the idea of like, well, you know, there's this unity that we could have, but I'm like, I don't think, cause then at the end he talked about, there's going to be a shaking. And I'm like, I think that who you think is going to be shaken is the other people. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how we get through that. Yeah. I felt as if uh, maybe the only thing I, totally disagreed with because there were many things where I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting he phrased it that way. But the only thing that I totally disagreed with or that I was like, oh, I don't know if that's true. And again, I would have loved to to ask him about this uh, was when he said, you know, we can't let our culture influence the way that we read the text. And I was mm-hmm. like, is that even possible to do? <laughs> like, Has your culture <laughs> yeah. shaped how you read the text? I don't, I, I yeah. don't even know that that, that that even exists. Like, yeah. Like, I, I think it's just, we're so deeply affected by our lenses and our worldviews, and they're so deeply ingrained in a part of us that we can't help but, yeah. and so we have to constantly, ch- like, I I agree with the heart of constantly checking and, and pursuing, like, oh, man, am I, mm-hmm. is my culture bleeding into my reading of this? Is my, but then, as you've pointed out, Jesse, like, in that same sermon that you mentioned, like, he's listing, he has a list of things, and one of them, the music one, it's like, that's oh, culture. This, this is a very cultural perspective that you're bringing yeah. in. Rather, like you're not going to find a text that says don't, you know, have music that has a rhythm in it. In fact, you, you find texts and songs that say <laughs> praise the Lord with the drums, with the cymbals. Yeah. So, and again, not to, yeah, I, I guess I'm. I, I was thinking about that when he said that. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know if that's actually possible, or, or 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 if we do that consistently. I think usually it's the opposite. We we usually read our culture into the text, and it yeah. takes way more work to to not. Oh yeah, and. And the th- and and the the wonderful thing about following Jesus is that God seems to be okay with that to the to the degree that it's just the reality of of human life, and, and that's again yeah. where I say maybe there's a widening of truth to a certain degree because say like you know reading Paul uh, about slavery in the time that Paul is writing, it's like yeah, slavery is a cultural thing that is so deeply embedded in literally the entirety of the world at that point. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, slaves are not just, it's not slavery at, at the level that we know of it in, in the United States, but like, like slavery, slavery. Yeah. It's like, sla- it's like different levels. Some slaves could rise up to the, some of the highest levels of government in those times. Like it's, and I'm not trying to defend it as much as when you read it in that context, that's one thing. But today when we read it and we look and we say, I get that contextually, but we're going to read our culture into the freedom aspects of this, which mm-hmm. say, you know, like this releasing of you shouldn't be a slave to anybody else. True. And that's, and, when- and, and, and yeah, go for it. When Paul says slaves return to your masters. Yeah. Uh, like we we're like, we wouldn't say that to somebody now. Yeah. Because there's it's a different context. But the but 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 that's the beauty of 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 following Jesus is there's still like the 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 intensity of what Paul is saying to that slave at the time is saying, Hey, you go back and do what you're culturally obligated to do. However, I'm gonna write your master to and say you need to treat him as an equal. So mm-hmm. it's mutually challenging. And that's the same thing we're called to today. However, it's it's we're still reading our culture into it, and that's a that's a 
good thing to a certain degree. And that's the wonderful thing about having a community as well is because then we have a community of people who have to discuss those things and wrestle with those things. And, and unfortunately, it just seems like the community of people that are heard at the levels of, of um, higher levels of Adventism tends to be the traditional community and not the non-traditional community. It's really the, the, the world church majority maybe is yeah. a, a way to phrase it. Yeah. 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 There's one more thing I wanted I to agree. say too before we, because this one got me. At the very end, he said, uh, and I wanted to push back on this, we didn't have time, but uh, mm-hmm. he said, uh, um, you know, in the end, Jesus will uh, say like, who, you know, he'll, he'll be looking at all your work, but then he'll ask like, where's your little flock? Talking about your family. Hmm. And I just wanted to address that because recently here at Loma Linda University Church, Pastor Randy was preaching the sermon and he had this moment where everybody could text in and it was about the Psalms. And so he had everybody texting like, what's a question that you have for God? And he did this in four services. So this is like a couple thousand people across the board. Um, not that many responses, but obviously a pool of 2,000 people who could have responded. And so you got, a, you got a ton of responses. And I kid you not, the sheer amount of people that said, I lived by train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not walk from it. Or he will not run away from it. Mm. Why is my child not in the church? Like the mm. amount of just the, the crying out of parents' hearts. Parents, wow. It's like, this is exactly, I think, the problem that I see, and that was an illustration of it, mm. is that there's this idea, the Bible is literal, and if you do that, you're going to get the promise as a result of that. That's why people like, don't experience that. Yeah, but then there's the problem is, yeah, you walk in, you see, you hear people's real experiences, and you're like, well, I could maybe say a lot about that. First of all, it might not at all be your fault that mm. your, your child was exposed to things that they, they engaged with, and they thought it was really compelling, and they walked away from what you thought was the truth. And that's just normal. There might have also been the, the yeah. reality that you were trying to teach them the sort of traditional Christianity that burnt a lot of us, and it just burnt them too. And they're not running away from God. They're running away from your cultural expression of who God is. Yeah. You know, and, and, there's, and there's a ton of other factors too. Maybe your kid got, got addicted to something and it pulled them out. You know, it's like, that's not, that might not even be your fault. Like, there's so many realities to being a mm-hmm. parent and to people having autonomy. But that seemed illustrative to me. Mm-hmm. of maybe the larger idea of like, you know, the Bible says it, it's true. And I'm like, yeah, but that's a proverb of, 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 uh, of Solomon who is saying this is gen- generally true, which is, I mean, yeah, I would say that's generally true. You raise a kid a certain way and there's often they're going to come back mm-hmm. to that or stay in it, but that's not true all the time. And even Solomon has a progression where later in his life, like in Ecclesiastes, he's like, everything is meaningless. This all sucks. <laughs> Like no matter what you do, he even says nothing, it, nothing matters under the sun. Yeah, in my uh, a bunch of friends and us and I have a Bible study, and on Friday we this past Friday we were reading Ecclesiastes chapter four, and he's like, it's some, it's better. Even he literally says, it's better either to be dead or to not even have been born, <laughs> yeah. because then you won't even live to learn the suffering and the dissonance yeah. of the world. Yeah. It's like. So I mean, all that is that's a T-shirt. That's a T-shirt quote right there. <laughs> that's our next merch line. <laughs> but that's just that's, that verbatim. That's illustrative of, of like even Solomon has a progression in that he says yeah. like certain things with certainty, and then later in his life he's like, a lot of life is a grasping at the wind. We try and do these yeah. things, and often it doesn't. You know, and the way and that granted, we like he walked away in a lot of ways from God, and so he experienced a lot of like you have everything, but but it feels like nothing. Mm-hmm. But but still, that's that's sort of the thing is there's not an openness to the fact that people might be experiencing different journeys, and then when you don't have that openness to the fact that people might be experiencing other journeys than you, what ends up happening is your leadership 
reflects that. And then it creates the divisions at the lower level. Uh, I don't mean division, like structural. I mean, like, like the, the, the division and the chaos at the mm-hmm. lower level, because your, your lack of openness to those experiences alienates those people who might have those experiences and you're not going to mm-hmm. make everybody happy, but Oh my gosh, you could be making a lot more people feel like there was a space for them mm-hmm. in the church instead of just, you know, like, well, if you train up your child, you know, then it's going to work out great. And and well, it, it might not. It's really important. And I, and again, I wish we could have asked him about this because there's, I mean, I was having a conversation with a younger pastor this past week. He's like 21 and undergrad and he was, we were chatting and he was like, I feel like there's no room for me because I, I, I hold these thoughts di- a little bit differently, but I, I'm, I feel I'm an Adventist. I love the Adventist church. I want to be an Adventist, but yeah. I feel like there's not, there's no room at the table because of the way that it's consistently expressed from the top. And I feel like a lot of people feel that from not only pastors, but just, I mean, if any, if any, if the, we could get any fruit from our, you know, our series on LGBTQ plus folk last, you know, that we did, it's that so many of them, they have a heart, they have a heart for Adventism. Like I'm thinking of a conversation with Alicia, like she didn't want to leave the church. She loves Adventism. She wrote her book because she loves the church, you know? So mm-hmm. there's so much, there's so much, I think so many people who they feel like, I want to be a part of this family, but it feels like you're pushing me out. It feels like, mm-hmm. you know, there's not instead of room. like a instead of a working together towards like, hey, I hear you, I don't agree with you right now, but like let's process it and try and work it out. There, there's not that much of that approach. Instead, there's other sort of authoritative things that are coming down, and that's yeah. just such an interesting. Like I, I, I just felt like there was a lot of. Um, moments in there that w- that I wish we could have pushed back on. And like I said, if Elder Wilson ever, ever listens to this, we would much rather have the conversation he- there than 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 here. But um, but yeah, it's just I, I it's I I want so badly for our church to have enough room for a a a a, a young generation that is coming into this with very different ideas. You know, and and even I would say the young generation that's coming up with a bunch of ideas is not the majority of the church, but you're going to lose that whole that whole generation here in the West or a very large chunk of it if there is not a widening. And then you're going to wonder, and then your then your excuse will be, well, they got pulled away by the world. It's like no, they got pushed out by the church. That's the yeah. difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's, Eric's going to be mad at us if we go any longer. So yeah, I know this is going to be a long episode, but um, no, worth it. I think worth it. I think it was. I think it was actually really good. I think it yeah, was a good conversation. We we you know, just so Elder Wilson knows, like yeah, we could have maybe tried to push harder earlier on, I guess. But again, the goal with this series is to listen to a multitude of people. Definitely. Uh, this is going to be a. I don't know if this will specifically air first, or if we're going to save this for last, or where it's going to go within the the series. But bottom line, um, you know, we're we're going to hopefully by as a byproduct as we talk with many people, whether they're leaders in the church or influencers in some way, come come across you know on different sides of what Adventism looks like. At mm-hmm. the end of it, the hope is that we can we can see a clear picture of how we can move together. And after and, today, I'll just be honest. I very, I don't understand how the, I will just say this and let's just, this will be the last sentence of the entire oh, podcast. No. <laughs> Eric, cut it now. I don't see how we move forward as a church with any sense of unity this way. 
I don't, I don't, I don't I see agree. it because there is a constant call towards unity, but the unity that it is called, that you're being called towards is not a unity that is openness or a willingness to listen and have a heart for one another. It's a unity that says, let's all do the work of the Lord together. Here's what the work of the Lord is and conform to that. And, uh, I don't know how we move forward that way. I don't know how we actually come together. And scene. <laughs> so happy. I mean, to his credit, I mean, well, look, to his credit, I mean, he he came on the podcast. Um, he did. That was a he win. He did this part, you know, and, awesome. and, and again, uh, to speak to his side, I think a lot, and I'll say this from the more liberal side, is a lot of times he's not given opportunities or, or the general conference is, is always given opportunities to, you know, work with others. And, and again, you can say chicken or egg, right? Is it, is it, was it the GC's role to create that, that openness so that the others would receive and, and, and allow that? Or was it, they maybe tried in certain areas, but then got shot down by certain mm-hmm. areas of the church. And then they become very guarded because you know that he's had to be very guarded as the president in certain areas. It's why mm-hmm. he asked us not to, to talk about women's ordination. And that's not against him. I get that, you know, that is, and other issues, it just seems like it almost feels like we're past the point where we can have conversations as a church. Yeah. And that's really sad to me. Like, like you said, no, we're not, not we're not pointing that on him. I'm saying as a church as a whole, it's hard. Like you said, Jesse, it's hard to move forward together in this because it it just feels like bottom line. We're not like we are not. I will say this and I'll say this with complete certainty. The president sets the tone and I've seen it over and over again. I agree. And I think the same is true for the United States, for companies, for all the way down to the pastor at a local church. The person who is in charge sets the tone. And if the if the if the rest of the body just is hates each other, like you might not ever come to a a, a, a coming together. Like you might never come to unity. However, if the president is sort of like, uh, yeah, actually, I'm on this side and not on your side, there's no chance. So. Yeah, it it almost circles back to was it our first episode? One of our first episodes, maybe I uh, forget. Uh, Trouble at the top, where we were talking, and I remember, um, I remember saying something along the lines of, "You just wish that like everyone got in a room and were mm-hmm. like, hey, I love you,' and like mm-hmm. that's the first commandment that Jesus says is the most important. <laughs> like, love God, love one another. So like, we all yeah. love Jesus and we all love each other. So let's start from there and have a totally open conversation. Start with and a it, big ice cream social with all the divisions. <laughs> well, literally. And it's and to me, it felt like this conversation was a bit of a fruit of 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 that, was like, we, we almost can't even go to where we wished we could go because he's so guarded because of the yeah. fruit of the past because of his position and maybe how he's been treated, you know, too, f- mm-hmm. from people who disagree with him. It's like, but I will we, say this, I will say this go. though, like Jan Paulson, the previous conference president, there was more of an attitude that Adventism is a tent that has more space, more room for people. And there was a difference in tone. Now I don't, I can't tell you what that feels like from the traditional side. Cause I think maybe a lot, that's why we had the sort of whiplash into like a, a person like Ted Wilson. Um, sort of like the, you know, going from Obama to Trump, like it's like, right. it feels like whiplash to, to, if you're on, if you're on the the sort of like, oh yeah, like under Obama, everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, why are we here? It's because there is an undercurrent of dissatisfaction. So, I mean, maybe there was that same sort of thing with, uh, with, with Jan Paulson into, into Ted Wilson, but I'll just say sure. like, there is that tone setting from the top. And I think yeah. that's important. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeking What They Saw. If you like what you hear, you want to support the podcast, there's a few ways to do so. You can follow us on social media. That's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. We have them all. You can just uh, slide on over, give us a follow. We post all of our updates there. Um, so you can follow us there or you can uh, you can give us a review on Spotify or iTunes. That helps us out quite a bit. Or you can even snag some merch, which uh, you can find all the links to that uh, in our social media. Well, we really appreciate all the engagement you guys give, whether that's sending us an email or, or a text message or a DM. We read them all. They mean a lot to us. We appreciate it. All right. I think that's about it. So we'll see you guys next time on Seeking What They Saw.